Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. We're going to be finishing up uh, Psalm 23 today. We've um, kind of broken it up um, over the past several weeks, and um, I had great plans of uh, covering Psalm 23 in three consecutive weeks, uh, but that plan got thrown off. I, I got sick the second week, and I was not able to be here, so the next message kind of had to go on hold to the next week. And then uh, last week, we had uh, Paul Lenderman with us, and we were very blessed by his message called, God is Good Even When Life is Bad. It was uh, just such a powerful reminder of God's goodness, especially in this season of Thanksgiving. But we're going to be wrapping up Psalm 23 today, just looking at the last two verses. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to get there in just a moment. But I invite you to take out a Bible. There should be uh, plenty of Bibles scattered throughout the sanctuary too if you uh, didn't bring one along with you or pull one up on your phone, uh, whatever you need to do. But Psalm 23, and of course with it being Thanksgiving week, the most common question we hear is, is what are you most thankful for? I'm sure you've been hearing that question or maybe been thinking about that question, um, especially as you head into this week. And I'm sure that uh, many of you have a lot of great answers to that question. You can probably think of a lot of wonderful things that you're thankful for. You probably think of a lot of blessings, but I actually don't want to ask you that question quite yet here this morning. I actually want you want to ask you a different question that I believe that I believe relates to thankfulness and gratitude, and actually contributes to a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of gratitude. And it's this question, and I want you to think. About about this. I'm actually going to open it up for some answers here. But what are you most undeserving of? What are you most undeserving of? I mentioned this question to someone else this week, and, and they, they laughed uh, because uh, they just realized, like, wow, pretty much everything, everything good in life I am undeserving of. And uh, that's, that's really the bottom line. But I want to open it up for, um, for some of your answers here today. It, it does not have to be highly spiritual. Um, it can be something, um, something uh, 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 just a, a physical provision that you have. It can be um, material possessions. It can be um, something earthly. That's okay. But what are, what are you most undeserving of? Or what are some of the things that you are undeserving of? I'm just going to open it up here. Uh, for some answers. What comes to mind? Who's going to go first? Julie. <laughs> well said. Uh, she said she's most undeserving of her sweet husband. <laughs> what else? Amanda. Your job. Your job given to you, provided to you uh, just recently. Yes, God has made provision for you. And you just kind of throw up your hands and say, wow, what a blessing, right? I saw another hand go up back there. Dusty? So speaking of a blessing of just the, how things are going with your work, feeling undeserving of that and, and the people that God has placed around you to encourage you and bless you, thank you. Carolyn? God's love for us. Absolutely. God's love for us in, in, in light of the fact that we are sinners, undeserving of his love, right? What else? 
Scott, feeling very blessed and grateful for this place where we live, right? And and the comforts and the conveniences that we have. And, and I was reflecting on that uh, just even this past week, just what an incredible place we live here, right? Um, I mean, a week ago, you know, middle of November, Last Sunday, uh, we went up to Rincon Beach for a couple hours, and it was like summer, you know, middle of November, and it was just gorgeous, a gorgeous sunset, and, and just uh, this, this beautiful place, Camarillo, Ventura County, where you look around, you see mountains one direction, you see mountains another direction, you see the nice flat fields uh, on a clear day, you can see out to the coast, you can see out to the Channel Islands, just a gorgeous place we live, and, and we can't take credit for that, can we? Uh, we didn't earn the right to this beautiful weather that we have. We don't deserve it, do we? What else? Ken, the food on your table, the clothes on your back, and the roof over your head. That's right. Those daily provisions. Suzanne. <laughs> Why do you feel undeserving of that? She said that her their boys are back home with them and and enjoying it, right? They're grateful to be back, and you feel undeserving of that as well. A couple more. Julie. Julie said, God's forgiveness. Absolutely, we're going to be talking about that today. So we look at Psalm 23. Isabel, your education. That was one of the things I had written down here, not your education, but just education in general. Why do you say that? parents helping out and God's providing for you and um, yeah, you're recognizing just what great educational resources that we have here where we live. Jeff. Mm. <laughs> Let's give them a hand for that. We've been undeserving of all the people that have been back there in the sound booth troubleshooting and uh, operating everything. Uh, one of the things I was reflecting on is, is I'm so undeserving of my family, like my immediate family now, my, my wife and my kids, and so undeserving of their love. But uh, I reflect back to my family of origin, and, um, and personally, I can testify that, wow, I am just so undeserving of, of just such a loving family that I had uh, growing up. And I know that, that not everyone can say that. Um, others that have, have had brokenness in their family and uh, had it very difficult growing up. And, um, but I was reflecting on that this past week. And I had all, all four grandparents growing up and that were there. Uh, they had strong marriages. They supported us. They encouraged us. Uh, parents that taught me uh, biblical values for life and, and what's most important. They taught me a, a strong work ethic and uh, just realizing that as I look back on that, like, you know, can I really say, like, yeah, I earned that, you know? It's just like God in his providence uh, placed me in the family that I grew up in. I think of, you know, just personal freedoms, the freedom to worship here today, the freedom to have a job, freedom to spend money as we need or as we see fit. And, and we recognize that those freedoms, they're not earned or deserved. And we, we know actually that those freedoms came at a great cost. They've come um, through sacrifice uh, for those that have fought for our freedoms and uh, that 
those, those also that continue to stand up for our freedoms. And, and those freedoms are, are given by God himself. It's not something that we've earned or deserved. Well, the, the reason why I want you to think of what you're most undeserving of is, um, is because I believe it relates to thanksgiving. It relates to gratitude. And I believe we're going to cover two things today that we are most thankful when we realize two things. The first is that we are utterly undeserving of God's blessings. Uh, but number two, we're most thankful when we realize how incredibly loved we are. So those two things, when we realize we are utterly undeserving of the blessings that God gives us, the mercy that he has for us, and how incredibly loved we are by God, our creator, and God, our maker. And that's what we really see in these last two verses of Psalm 23. And I'm going to invite you to read along with me. They should be here up on the screen. Psalm 23 Verses 5 and 6. Do we got them up there? There we go. Let's read this together as we wrap up Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord God, these are your words. You inspired these words uh, for David to write these down. And these are ancient words, but they are deep truths. And God, uh, may they be ingrained in our minds and our hearts here today. We pray that you would speak, that we would hear your voice today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just to recap just a little bit, Psalm 23, as we know, starts out by giving us a picture of, of God as our shepherd, the shepherd who's uh, providing the place of, of green pastures. May you make me lie down in green pastures, and, and you lead me beside still waters, that, that God is providing what we need, when we need it, every step along the way. God is our provider, but we also looked at how God is our protector, the shepherd is our protector and, and that his presence goes before us and beside us and, and with us. And David says, verse 4, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, that even in the darkest valleys, in the darkest moments of life, even, he says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil. He says, for you, God, my shepherd, you are with me. But now I want you to notice a, a shift that happens here as we close out in, in Psalm 23, these last two verses. The, the picture shifts from the picture of a shepherd to the picture of a king's table. Did you notice that? And, and this, this works in the context here because ancient Near Eastern kings were often called shepherds of the people that they led. Similar to how maybe a pastor or elders in a church are considered shepherds, spiritual shepherds of the people. It was very similar for kings back in those days. And what would happen is a, a king would invite his most honored associates to come and to live in his palace. And then a king's servants would spread out a rich banquet table and, and the king would call the members of his court to 
Come, come and feast, come and sit at the king's table. And that's what David is, is picturing here in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me. And it was also common that the king's guests were anointed with oil. Have you ever wondered why, why does he say, my, you anoint my head with oil? It doesn't sound, uh, that doesn't happen very often to us when you go into someone's house uh, that someone anoints your head with oil. But it was common that the king's guests were anointed with oil. And, and da- that's what David says, you anoint my head with oil. And this was a symbol of the honor and, and the joy of being in the royal court it was a sign and a statement uh, saying to these guests, to, to these loved ones, that you are welcome here. You belong. You belong at the king's table. It's a beautiful picture. And as beautiful as this picture is, we think maybe in our hearts and our minds, well, that's great. That's great for David. What an incredible experience that David had at the king's table, but that's not for me. That's for, that's for people like David. Because wasn't David a man after God's own heart? And of course, of course, God's going to be pleased with David, and wow, he deserves that place of honor at the king's table. Is that true of David? Did David earn his place At the king's table, the opposite is actually true. David, yes, was a man after God's own heart. We know that. The Bible says that about him. But what was also true about David is that he was human. He was utterly human. Yes, he did a lot of great things, and he had a lot of countless, I mean, countless successes and uh, defeated Goliath the giant and, and battled the Philistine army. He had great success. But what we also know about David is that he had a horrible failure, didn't he? He had no reason in and of himself to be sitting at the king's table. So as we know, David's story, we know that later in his life, he fell into great sin. He committed adultery with, with Bathsheba. You know, that woman who was bathing and David uh, was standing there on the rooftop. It says, in the season when kings were out to war, when kings were out to war, David was there on the rooftop and looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing and called for her sent for her, and, and she came, and, and he slept with her, and later she sends word that she's pregnant. So his first instinct is cover it up. Cover up the sin. And that first attempt to cover up the sin doesn't work, and so what does he do? He orders that this woman's husband, Uriah the Hittite, many of you know this story, is placed at the front line of battle. It was David's attempt to have Uriah the Hittite killed so that he then could appear to rescue this woman Bathsheba and to to bring her home as his wife. And guess what? It worked. It worked, didn't it? But one thing that's true is that the Bible says your sin will always find you out. 
Your sin will find you out. And, and God used someone else in David's life to point out this sin. He used Nathan the prophet. He came and, and confronted David in his sin, confronted him for this wretched act that he just seemed to get away with, that he covered up. And what we know is that the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit works and points out sin in our life, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And we come then broken before God, and that's what happened to David under conviction of the Holy Spirit. David falls to his knees and in brokenness before the Lord, and he feels the weight of his failure and, and how utterly undeserving he was for God's blessing and for God's mercy, and for God's forgiveness. And David then prayed one of the most famous prayers that we have now today, Psalm 51, one of the well, most well-known confessions of sin in all of Scripture. And I don't know, we, scholars actually don't know when Psalm 23 was written, but it could very well have been written after David praised this prayer of confession of sin in Psalm 51. We don't know exactly, but this is what David prayed. The same man who said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings from you. The same David who wrote that wrote these words in Psalm 51 Three through four, he says, For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Verse five, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's coming before God. He's, he's broken. He's convicted. He realizes how utterly undeserving he is to even be in God's presence, broken in his sin. But as he comes and as he confesses that brokenness and that failure, he receives mercy. He receives forgiveness. And we know that forgiveness isn't just something that God thinks, okay, yeah, you deserve punishment, but you know what? It's okay. It's all okay. I'm just going to overlook it. That's not what forgiveness is. It's not just God overlooking our sin. Forgiveness is what God did when he sent his son Jesus here to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. Because see, God does not let sin go unpunished. True forgiveness is recognizing that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And we know that Jesus didn't come until after David lived, centuries later after David lived, but David trusted in that same Savior that was to come. The Savior that we know came 2,000 years ago and purchased our forgiveness on the cross. And because of that, David prays this, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Isn't that a beautiful confession? Beautiful confession of sin and a beautiful declaration of of God's grace and request to God to restore the joy of his salvation? See, David knew something as a man after God's own heart. He knew that he was utterly undeserving of God's blessing, but at the same time, he knew that he was incredibly loved by a merciful and gracious God who longed to restore him, who longed to forgive him, who longed to extend grace and mercy to him. And that's what God desires for each one of us, too. And maybe you're thinking, well, I haven't sinned in the same way that David did. Maybe, maybe you can't relate to David in the great sin that he fell into. Maybe you can. Maybe you've been broken in the same way David has. But maybe you've been broken in different ways. And maybe the Holy Spirit has been convicting you lately of, of sins in your own life. Sins that are different, no less significant. There's no weight of sin. All sin is sin. And I just reflect, even in my own life, God's making me more aware of, of where I have fallen short. A couple, a few weeks ago, we were looking at Titus and the end of Titus the Apostle Paul talks about instructing Titus to teach the people to meet the urgent needs of the people in the church and the people around them. And I was preparing to talk about those words that following Sunday. And that very week, I was here at the office and I was just getting ready to head off somewhere to go do something, go do something good, right? And I get a call from my wife, and uh, she says, hey, we've got to be somewhere in like five minutes, and the car battery is dead. This is actually a frequent occurrence in our family um, because lights get left on in our car all the time. Little people that just press those buttons up above and then leave the lights on, and then the battery drains. And so, in God's grace, I said, honey, I will be home in five minutes. I'll be right there. Don't worry about it. These things happen. We'll get it. Don't worry. That's that's not what I did. (laughs) I said as little as possible. I literally did. And now, now remember, I'm preparing to talk about meeting urgent needs, right? And right in front of me, there's an opportunity to meet an urgent need happily and joyfully, willingly. And I said, okay, I'll be right there. So I go and I did not exercise patience. I wasn't outright mean or harsh, but 
Christy can tell you, I, I did not show a willing, patient spirit at all. We got, we got the van going, and she was on her way, and, but I was not happy about it. And my confession is that I drove away realizing, wow, how, how wretched of me to be proclaiming this coming week about meeting urgent needs around us and, and recognizing, boom, here's an opportunity right before you to patiently and willingly meet this need that's right in front of you for the people that you most love. And that's an area that God is working in me is, is to recognize just that, that lack of, of patience, that lack of love for even the people that are most loving in my life. What is it for you? Where is God pointing out areas in your life of, of brokenness, of failure? See, the truth is, is that, that, that God knows our thoughts. God knows our words. He knows our words before we even speak them. God knows when you've spoken disrespectfully to your parents or maybe spoken disrespectfully about them or maybe have started to disregard what they say. God knows when you've been harsh with your spouse. God knows when you've maybe been deceitful at work about a mistake that you didn't want to admit was your fault. God sees when we've blown it as a parent God knows and sees when we take up idols in our life, when we seek material things to fill in our heart what only God can fill. And we're left to realize just how helpless a life like that is. Helpless and hopeless. But whatever it is for you, we each recognize how utterly undeserving we are of of God's blessings in our life, but the good news is that God doesn't leave us in that brokenness. Because while we're utterly undeserving, we're also incredibly loved by a God that, that chases after us, that longs to restore us, that longs to make us new, that longs to forgive us again and again. Verse 6 it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Paul Lenderman talked about this last week. He kind of gave a little preview to this. Pointed out, surely, certainly, certainly it is a fact that God's goodness and mercy follows you, follows me all the days of my life. And it says, it, it follows us, meaning God's love pursues us. That's really what this means. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I'm recognizing a lot of the blessings that God's given. And sometimes I'm kind of walking in light of those blessings and I'm, I'm kind of looking over my shoulder, kind of like wondering, okay, things are, things are okay here. God's answering that prayer. What's coming behind me, you know? Where's he going to get me next? Like, well, things might be going too well, might be experiencing too much peace. Maybe there's something bad coming behind me. 
And the truth is, there are things that might come behind us in this world and in the brokenness in which we live, the tragedies that we go through. But the truth is, is that his goodness is pursuing us. The truth is, is that his mercy is pursuing us, is right behind us, is is following us all the days of our life. David says, or uh, sorry, let me back up just a little bit. When I think of being pursued, I think of it in a negative way. I think of it as, you know, an enemy. An enemy is one who pursues, right? And even David says, my enemies pursue me all day long. We see that several times throughout the Psalms, reflecting on when he had enemies coming after him. But here, God's goodness and mercy pursue us. They chase after us. And what's so unbelievable about this is what Romans 5.10 says. Does anyone know? I'm going to throw it out there. Does anyone know how Romans 5.10 describes us? How does Romans 5.10 describe us? Anyone got a Bible? Look it up really quick. Romans 5.10. Who's got it? Stop right there. While we were what? While we were enemies. Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's what we're... We are. Before we're saved, before we're forgiven, before we're cleansed, before we're purified by the forgiveness that we find in Jesus, we are enemies of God. And the undeserved blessing is that what David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I was once an enemy of you, you have placed me at your table. I want to close today with a story about a man in the Bible I believe is kind of a forgotten character in the Bible. How many of you remember the character Mephibosheth? I don't see a lot of hands going up. I see a few. Mephibosheth, I won't make you say it because it's hard to say and maybe he's forgotten because of his name. I don't know. But Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan who, if you know who Jonathan was, Jonathan was David's best friend throughout his life. And after David had become king, he remembered a vow that he had made previously. And and after Jonathan had died in battle, David had made this vow that he would care for the needs of Jonathan's family because of this deep friendship that they had shared over many years. And in 2 Samuel 9, after David had become king, this is what he said. He said, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he finds out that there's this son of Jonathan's, Mephibosheth. And it's Mephibosheth's lucky day. 
But not so fast. Not so fast because Mephibosheth had two big strikes against him. First of all, he was crippled. In his childhood, he had been taken away from his home to escape danger from their enemies. And as they escaped, Mephibosheth was dropped, uh, dropped to the ground and his feet were permanently crippled. And in those days, people with severe injuries or disabilities had to remain hidden away. Imagine how awful that is. They had to be, remain hidden away, especially if they were of royalty because it would be, become an embarrassment to the family. And so handicapped, crippled people had to be hidden away. They were lost and forgotten. But the other strike that was against Mephibosheth is that he was the grandson of King Saul. Now remember that King Saul was David's greatest enemy, right? And so first he's, he's crippled, he's hidden away, he's forgotten, He's an embarrassment. But he's also King Saul's grandson. And remember who's in power now, David. David, who is King Saul's greatest enemy. But David sends for him. I want you to put yourself in Mephibosheth's position for a second. The new king and the former enemy of your grandfather summons you, and you're crippled chances are you're in trouble. And so Mephibosheth came and he fell down in front of David in humility and surrender. But listen to what David says to Mephibosheth's shock and surprise. David says, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And here's what Mephibosheth said. He said, what is your servant? That you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. We're all like Mephibosheth, aren't we? As we stand before a holy God, we can say the same thing. What is your servant that you should show regard for me, a, a dead dog such as me. David then announces to his servants, he says, all that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And so it says, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And many who had been King Saul's servants became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth, says, lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now, hear these closing words. Just in case you forgot, it says, now, he was lame in both feet, just in case you forgot. And this is a picture of God's grace toward us. He invites us always, crippled as we are, utterly undeserving, but incredibly loved. He invites us to his table all the days of our life, not just the beginning. 
And it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. The last part of Psalm 23, David declares, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we have to look forward to. About you, but there are times, you know, just in our lives here on this earth where, you know, maybe we go through something, especially as we come up on Christmas season, you know, where there's, it's just such a season of anticipation of looking forward to something, looking forward to the holidays and, and the, the, the wonderful things that surround Christmas. And, and then Christmas comes and goes, and then you're kind of thinking, what's, what's next? What do I have to look forward to next? Well, we know what we have to look forward to here in these closing words of Psalm 23, 6, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In closing, one writer says this, I was that Mephibosheth, crippled by my twisted pride and hiding from you, God, in a barren place where you could not find me, where you would not give me what I did deserve. But somehow you came and you found me. And I don't understand why, but you give me what I do not deserve. You not only spared my desolate life, but you made it bountiful. And here at your table, I will thank you, my king. Here at your table, I will thank you, my king. Encourage you this week. I'm going to invite the, the team up to close, but I encourage you this week that wherever you find yourself on Thanksgiving Day, if you're sitting at a table with abundance of food, a, a turkey before you, wherever you find yourself, remember that God, our Savior, our Shepherd King, invites us to his table now and always and will forever. Because of that, our hearts can be filled with thankfulness as we just sang. That should fill our hearts with thankfulness. That pales into comparison in comparison to any other earthly blessings that we have here. The spiritual blessings that God gives us again and again that his love and his grace and his mercy continue to chase after us, to pursue us all the days of our life. Let's pray. Lord God, that message of your goodness and your mercy following after us fills our hearts with gratitude. And I pray that as we continue in this week and as even beyond, God, that we would live our days with hearts of thanksgiving, hearts of gratitude for all that you give us, not only the blessings here on this earth, but the blessing of looking forward to eternal life where we will sit at your table forever and ever, that we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give us great anticipation for that day. God, help us to live these days now with gratefulness and thankful hearts as we serve you as your people and you as our king. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.